Adam excels at authenticity. Well, I like this review so far. Having been a listener since his last podcast, thank you, I am a fan. Adam always brings in amazing guests and dives deep into what listeners want to hear. I look forward to hearing more top execs share their story through this platform. Well, thank you, am underscore Nova for your review. And if you, the listener, enjoy this, leave one yourself on Apple Podcasts and I'll read it out right here at the top. Okay, on with today's... You know how you always tell yourself you're going to make a nice green smoothie and then you just don't? Well, I've got a founder who's taken care of that and a whole lot more on today's Authentic Avenue. Daily Harvest, a clean DTC meal brand taking care of food so that food can take care of you. When Rachel Drury founded Daily Harvest, she noticed that all the ways in which big food launched its lineup were too reactive to be the cutting edge. Rather than wait until a revenue opportunity appears from a trend, Rachel has sought to catch the upswing of product life cycles and flip the script on her larger competitors. But it begs the question, a question I'll tackle today. Why isn't all food customer driven like this? Today, Rachel will help answer that question. So blend up a green smoothie and enjoy as I get real with Daily Harvest and Rachel Drury. The first thing I want to start this conversation off with is just the breadth of this menu that Daily Harvest has to offer. I did get a box. I went out and got one and it is just so broad everything you can get from the flatbreads to the bowls to the smoothies I just tore into it just had my first one this morning and I'm so glad that now I get to follow that up with the conversation from the person that founded this brand Rachel Drury thank you so much for coming on the show how are you good thanks for having me and I'm glad you like the food actually you didn't say you liked it did you like it oh of course of course <laughs> I should have I should have mentioned that up front but it was I so I started with a smoothie I started I started easy because a smoothie is typically how I begin my day anyway so it was just a, a simple replacement and a heck of a lot easier I have to say and so so far so good I have to get into those flatbreads which I think is the newest thing that you have um, but I uh, first thing before we get into why you started this every all the ins and outs everything in between uh, what, what what do you like? I mean, like, what's your choice? I got this whole box. Oh, what, what's your favorite thing yes. on the menu that you offer? So I have a few things that are kind of my go-tos, but um, what I'm loving right now are, one, we just launched this new smoothie that's passion fruit and tahini, which sounds like an odd- Passion awesome fruit and tahini? Isn't tahini yes. like the sauce that you put on like Mediterranean bowls and stuff like that? Yes. And it has a ton of greens in it. And it was basically created for me. Right, <laughs> right, okay. It's like, you know, you've got the tart, you've got creamy, you've got the greens. So you've like, you know, got the, got the like um, leafy greens for your day checked off. And it's, it's so incredible. So I usually am eating that with our tomatillo and pepper flatbread um, that is like a little spicy and crunchy. And it's so incredible. Um, and I also just tried something in our kitchen because I'm in our office right now that we're launching in a few weeks that um, I can't say what it is yet, but okay. oh my God, it was amazing. <laughs> we'll have to keep an eye out for that one. So you're really living this. I mean, you're eating this You're eating this every day. I mean, obviously, I, I guess you, you made it in part because you were seeking a better way, but I mean, you're just like full in the brand. I mean, what? So, did you ever cheat like outside of the menu? Like what? what, what would you want on the menu next that maybe you're not in current development on so you wouldn't be spilling a trade secret on? 
Yeah. So <laughs> my team laughs at me all the time because I have two obsessions that I ask for constantly. And, you know, we're trying to figure out like, is it, is this just a Rachel thing or like the other people want this? Um, so one of them is Szechuan peppercorns. <laughs> Szechuan peppercorns, like the peppercorns themselves? Like putting the Szechuan peppercorns in food. Oh, oh I see. I see. I see. Has, like, it's such a unique flavor and such a unique um, like sensation that it it brings to your tongue and 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 the entire eating experience that I get so passionate and excited about it. And we're just trying to figure out how we get the best Szechuan peppercorns, how we make sure that they're organic, and then how we we match it with um with the right people to who who want to eat it. Um, so we're I get really jazzed about that one. Yeah, I got to admit, you're the first person I've ever spoken to who is passionate about. Szechuan peppercorns, but that's fine uh, because assuming that you put it in somewhere in the menu, other people will become that as well. And then it won't just become a Rachel thing. It'll become an everybody thing. (laughs) They will. Now, uh, let's let that's a good segue. This whole idea started as just a Rachel thing. Can you tell me uh, why why you founded this? Yeah, well, I started Daily Harvest because I was hangry. Um, All right. Um, you know, I was working really hard and I knew all the things that I should be eating. I was an athlete growing up. I knew so much about health and wellness and nutrition, but what happened is I ended up settling for things that were convenient because life got in the way. Um, and that's, that's really where the insight came from. And, you know, as I started investigating why there were no solutions that existed that were both clean and convenient to me, this was insane. Um, I realized that the problem was so much larger than I had originally imagined, um, that there were real systemic reasons why the food that I wanted to eat didn't exist. And, you know, the way that food is created and produced is the opposite of customer or human or planet centric. Um, and with, with that daily harvest was born. Uh, with the mission to take care of food so food can take care of you. Okay. So you're hangry. You start this kind of, those obviously more, that was a great way to start that off though. And you decide there's got to be a better way. By the way, a lot of the ways in which most food is produced is does not have people in mind, which, which I got to say, it doesn't make sense to me at first because I'm thinking, well, duh, I mean, people eat it. But you have told me and you have the position that food is not customer driven. I want to know what that means. There are ulterior motives at play. You're talking about big food, CPG, like you're talking about like chips and cookies, or you're talking about even healthy food. What does that mean when you say food is not customer driven? Yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of legacy brands create food to keep their stock prices high. And it's as simple as that. Like, you know, they create brands that capitalize on what they deem to be opportunity or white space. But then when you kind of look into to, uh, what that means from a practical perspective, it means that a, an opportunity has to be at least $100 million out of the gate. Otherwise, there's you know some person on the, the marketing team or the product development team or the R&D team who's kind of stuck their neck out to innovate. And if, it, if it's not a $100 million opportunity, they're fired, um, you know, and they're not incentivized to take risks. They take forever to deliver the food that people actually want to eat. And in the process, they squeeze margins so tightly that the food that people wanted to begin with resembles nothing of the sort. Um, it's it's really challenging. And when you think about the idea, which is, um, you know, what we do, and I, I, 
I don't want to get too much into this yet, but um, you know, really what we do is we create our food with the people who eat it and we get it to them in a timely manner and then connect the people with the food that they want to eat. And it, it, it sounds simple. It's not so simple, but that is, that is kind of the, uh, the paradigm shift. Yeah. I mean, it, it only sounds simple to me because I'm ignorant about it. And I assume like, oh, it's just like a number of days between the desire for something and it being delivered. There's obviously more to that if you think about a product life cycle. So as a way of, of butting into this next question or topic, so you spent a lot of time in the, the marketing world on the marketing side. And so obviously have a great deal of knowledge about how to market something, but you also have quite a bit of knowledge um, when it comes to, as I said, product things. And uh, when big food and CPG make their new product to bolster their bottom line, let's say, um, there's a lot of data that goes into that, of course, Mm -hmm. and you're getting there quicker. I'm hinting at this pretty strongly. You have you have thoughts on this. I want I want to hear you illuminate them because it seems like you catch the hype earlier than big food. I'm not exactly sure how, but maybe you can help me with that. Yeah. So um I'll talk about this, but then I want to talk about the uh, kind of like the co-creation piece because it feeds in here, but I can I'll okay. start on that side. So um you know, for for those of you who may be familiar or unfamiliar with the Rogers Bell Curve, it's this very traditional framework of the product life cycle, and it shows product adoption over time. Um, so, if you picture kind of a like a, a normal distribution bell curve, where you've got different um, different sections, right? The first group of people at at kind of the bottom of the bell curve is um, we'll call them. I think it's innovators, then it goes to early adopters. And then as the bell curve moves to kind of the apex, you get like early majority, late majority. And then on the other side, um, because it's symmetrical, it goes back down into like the laggard section. So, you know, a typical brand basically buys an insight from a consultant or there's enough demand in a market, in the market to for whatever they're going to launch to be an obvious bet. This goes back to what I said before about there having to be like a $100 million opportunity in front of them. So if you think about what it takes to get to that point, um, it takes a lot of time, right? For an opportunity to be so big that it's obvious or for something to be big enough that a consultant can kind of pick it out. Um, And what happens is you're way past early adopters at that point. The early adopters have moved on. And then what happens is these legacy companies will take more than a year and millions of dollars in R&D before they bring something to market. So that by the time it goes to market, so much time has passed from when that initial insight was identified that those people who they initially pinpointed as, as like an opportunity to launch something to, they don't care anymore. They're over it. They're onto something else. Um, so you know, the product journey starts with late adopters already on the downslope of the bell curve. And since the organization has invested so much money on R&D and inventory to fill shelves across the country, they have to force feed the market. So they have to force somebody like Justin Timberlake to take on the headwinds of falling demand. Um, and it's, it's this like really interesting dynamic when you think about it. So what we do at Daily Harvest is 
we, instead of buying an insight after, you know, early adopters have already forsaken it, we partner with innovators super early on and early adopters from the outset and we co-create with them. Um, and we've created this agile supply chain on the other side of it that allows us to create food in a timely manner. So if something goes from concept to market incredibly quickly. I'm talking weeks. Um, you know, and, and because of this, what happens is you kind of ride the curve up organically as opposed to us having to push into the market. What happens is these early adopters become brand evangelists and they get so pumped that we created the food that they wanted, which is simple. Like, you know, I, I talked about the simplicity of this. A, a bit before where like all we're doing is creating the people that uh, the food that people want to eat and we're just getting it to them in a timely manner but the power of this is that those those early adopter brand evangelists influence the mainstream and the majority and it creates this incredible virtuous marketing cycle um where you know once the majority is purchasing it gives us even more insight into our development it creates this awesome flywheel that we get really jazzed about okay so let me paint a picture here for myself and perhaps for the listeners normally the let's say like steamroller very slow moving big food company waits for the big opportunity then strikes because they see dollar signs in their eyes but you're able to go to market way faster with these ideas by partnering with innovators who are on the upswing of the cycle and you beat them to market so you've beaten big food big cpg there and you get all these super happy consumers so that's great so that's what it that's what i'm hearing now my next question is the next maybe chapter of the story because like it or not, that steamroller is coming. And if you do your job well, you build up a product life cycle to the point at which a CPG with maybe more resources, maybe ability to enter the market at a lower rate, whatever it may be, comes in and attempts to capture your share. Now, you've already built this menu up based on the innovations that allow you to beat them to market. How do you maintain both the menu and the excitement of the consumers that you have so that they don't trade away when the big, when, when, when the giant comes into the room? Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to authentic relationships, right? So we have real trust with our customers. They know that they are co-creators in our process and we get them the food that they want when they want it. So because preferences change and because what I wanted today isn't what I'm going to want, you know, six months from now, we actually think of product market fit as not a moment in time, but in constant evolution. So we are constantly evolving the food that we offer to meet that customer, that customer demand. So while a a legacy company might be just launching something, we've probably already had three or four versions in market. Um, and we've moved on to to the next thing. It's also about that that trust and that um, you know that brand equity that you create at the at like the super highest at the highest level to you know just build those those relationships that that um, you know our customers come to us because they know that our food is going to be clean. They know it's going to be convenient. They know we work directly with our farmers to get the best food. They know that we that you know we invest in sustainable practices. They know all these things about us, and that and and they know that they are co creators, and that kind of creates that incredible brand loyalty where they trust us, we respond because we get them the food that they want. They see the proof in the pudding. They see us, you know, delivering more and more compostable packaging and, and you know, the things that are important to them. And, and they see us um, that, 
you know, we are echoing their values. And it, it kind of creates that, that flywheel again, where, you know, we've had people try and copy us before. Um, and, you know, without the without that that overarching brand without the co-creation and without the personalization that really allows our customers to not only create the food but to have a, a unique experience that every single different every single customer has a unique daily harvest experience that is catered to them specifically um, is really hard to replicate so it is about more than just the food so authentic relationships are a bit of the key to this and that's Good that you said that. That's what I'm all about on this show, as you well know by the title. Now, let me get into that word for a second. And the reason why is because this is partly what I ask almost everybody that comes through this show. Every organization has their specific ways in which they bring this authenticity to the forefront. We call this the their authentic avenues. Which are yours? When you think about the different initiatives you take on, the different ways in which you surprise and delight or otherwise communicate with consumers, the ways in which you invest, the ways in which you support causes, what, what does that mean for authenticity to you all in building those relationships? Is it, where does it come out? Yeah, I mean, the way that I, I look at that is there are a lot of things that you can create in a brand that are beautiful and inspiring and, um, you know, create electricity. But when you kind of focus on those authentic relationships, when you are so set on being customer driven, it's that, um, that like, quote unquote, something that really means everything. Because without that, like, it might be hard to define, um, but it's impossible to fake right? It's something like when you really stand for something, when you echo your customers' values, when they echo yours, when you co-create that vision together, it really um, creates such a beautiful thing that's endlessly rewarding. What's been your favorite connection with consumers? Like if you just think back across all the relationships that you've built, are there stories in mind that pop out? Yeah. I mean, because we we do it at such scale, um, I, of course, have stories where, you know, people write in customer service and uh, to our customer care team and tell us how we've changed their life for so many different reasons. And for, for me, those relationships um, are incredibly important. But, you know, for us at a, a more scaled view is really about how we respond to our customers' needs, right? Because it's one thing to say we're listening, but it's another thing to show and not tell and to show that you're listening and reacting to what customers need. So the things that that I get so excited about are when I see people responding to that. Um, you know, we have people post on on Instagram all the time, for example, that um, we listened to them. And this is such a novel idea. It's really hard to do operationally, but we've focused our entire brand around this idea. So let me ask this then, because many, there are plenty of folks that are like in this space that claim to do things quickly and they build great relationships. And I believe all that that you say, but you know that there are plenty of folks attempting to, attempting to do the same thing. How do you yeah. continue to, to, to stretch the gap between you and even the other players in like meal delivery, ingredient delivery, that kind of thing? Um, maybe going forward, I don't know, it doesn't necessarily have to be related to product portfolio. I'm just curious as to your vision as to how you'll continue to stride forward and beyond. 
Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of ways. So, you know, one is right now we're in nine collections across three day parks. Um, the, we're not stopping there. We have so much runway ahead of us and so many things that, that we get excited about because ultimately in order to be clean and convenient um, and sustainable, our goal is to to recreate what the modern pantry is. Like the freezer is a better pantry for so many reasons, but it's particularly on those three points that I mentioned. So, you know, if we can continue to, to build out that pantry, um, there's a lot of opportunity there. And then it comes back to um, something I've already shared, but, you know, that personalization, being able to co-create is one thing, but then being able to connect people with the food that was created specifically for them is no simple task. So, you know, when we think about um, our core competencies, our moats, uh, you know, keeping our head start, it really comes down to those customer relationships that enable um, all of that personalization and all of that co-creation kind of uh, feeding the flywheel. Now, I want to ask you, given all of this knowledge, experience, journey to this point and journey going ahead for some advice. And this is how I want to round out this interview because people who listen to this show are searching for a couple of things, but specifically they are either, they're either marketers. So the people like maybe you used to be where they are just working in a brand, you know, cranking their way up or they, uh, whether it's for hangry or another reason are thinking about starting their own brands. Regardless, this practice of being authentic is just so it's, it's, it's driven into the ground. It's like, you're like beating a dead horse almost these days with regard to, you got to be authentic. You got to be authentic. A lot of people like don't know how to necessarily get there. They, some people think it's something you have to actively do. Some people think it's something you just reflect. But regardless, they look for specific ways in which they can start down that path to authenticity, carve their own avenues, so to speak. You've done this. And I'm curious to get your advice as to how others might do it too. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it first comes down to what being customer driven means, because I've, I've used that phrase a lot. Um, but, you know, it's not just meeting customer needs. It's actually anticipating and exceeding customer needs. So how do you know what those customer needs are? Right. Because it's it's that's the question. Um, but if you lose if you use like what does my customer want as the lens for every single decision? Like that is your starting point. And then you think about, okay, if I'm going to challenge the status quo, if I'm going to create all of these new ways of working that allow me to be customer driven, how do I know what my customer wants? Um, The answer is really simple. And for some reason, we've created this third wall that people are afraid to break. But you talk to them. You talk to your customers. Um, You know, even in the early days when we didn't have the, the data resources or the technology resources that we have today, um, having every single team member follow Daily Harvest hashtag um, on Instagram, having every single team member feel empowered to, to speak to our customers directly. If somebody posts something negative, it's not like there's this third wall where there's a way of working where you know one person can respond. And every single person who works at Daily Harvest is involved in the conversation and it keeps us so close to that customer. And in the early days when it was just me, it was you know getting on the phone, it was responding to to people on social, it was um, you know never taking any feedback as just that, always asking for the why and continuing that chain of why until I had something that I could actually action on to make Daily Harvest even better. Well, I appreciate 
that focus. And listeners, whether you're in the food business or not, my guess is that many of you are not, but some of you might be. Think about ways in which if you are seeking to disrupt, you may figure out how to get on the front end of a life cycle. Of course, doing something better and faster is always of interest, but maybe look for ways in which you can do that in specific ways that the bigger people you're trying to go up against can't. That's something which has clearly driven Daily Harvest forward. And by the way, if you can find a way to more authentically have relationships with consumers, of course, you can look to episodes like this for advice on that. But um, to listeners, I wish you all luck as you uh, attempt to emulate Rachel's path. And Rachel, to you, I can't thank you enough for joining today. I got like a week of food in my freezer I got to get through now, thanks to you. And uh, I'm going to try all of them. And if the Szechuan peppercorns ever get into my diet, I'll let you know that too. Thanks so much for joining. All right. Thanks. Very quick 10-second review here. Love the flatbreads, love the dessert, love the harvest bowls. So if you're going to try some of this out, I'll leave a link in the show notes. Go for those. Thanks, Rachel. And thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in to today's show. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. I read out reviews from Apple Podcasts at the top of these shows. And of course, I'm on social elsewhere. LinkedIn, mostly. Adam Connor, personally. Authentic Avenue, professionally. Give me a follow there. And I'm also on TikTok doing some more informal stuff at Authentic Adam. Finally, email adam at authenticavenuemedia.com. Tell me what you're thinking, and I will take all the advice you have to give. This has been your host, Adam Connor, saying until I get real again with you, thanks for taking a walk with me down Authentic Avenue.